What's up, crew? Welcome to another CloverTech podcast. Uh, this one, uh, March 19th, 2021. Sort of a uh, little bit of a reschedule. We're a little bit late, but uh, better late than never, right? So thanks for uh, all that are in replay while the notifications are going out. Obviously, it takes a little bit of time for uh, YouTube to make all of that happen. Let me say welcome to those that are in replay. Wherever you are, whether it's you know in a video replay, audio podcast world. There's probably comments down below. You can still participate in the conversation and you're highly encouraged to do so uh, as is scrolling down at the bottom of the screen. Big shout out and thanks as always to those YouTube channel members and Patreon patrons. Uh, little surprise for those folks here a little later on. Once we get done recording this, got a little behind the scenes. I ran some errands uh, earlier during our little bit of a, a delay there. So, uh, and uh, actually spent some of that YouTube channel money and uh, uh, Patreon patron money. So that's sweet, sweet Patreon money, as I like to say. So we're going to jump into a conversation here with Mr. Anderson or Walt, or just depends if you grew up on the Matrix or not. But uh, if you did, then you certainly get the reference there uh, and mainly just have a conversation. Um Walt is someone, I'll let him jump here in just a minute, kind of jump in and maybe introduce himself for those that may not be aware of who he is. But uh, Walt's been around for several months now in some of the circles uh, of uh, the gun tubers, the Second Amendment tubers, whatever you want to call them here on uh, Freedom Tubers, here on the YouTubes. And... Uh, yeah, he's one of these young guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say that that uh, I don't think, I think I agree with him more than I agree with his premises more than I agree with the way he explains those premises. And that's <laughs> that's hopefully one thing we can get into is just a gap in the old versus the young, the experienced versus the inexperienced, the new gun people versus the ones like myself, which came out of the womb with a uh, lever action rifle or a revolver and or a revolver. Um, and the language barriers a lot of times that we deal with. But anyway, we'll get into all of that. Hopefully, uh, and more live chat I see is starting to jump out there. So welcome, guys. Uh, Walt, if you would, just yeah. quick inter introduction for those that uh, may watch the channel here but not be aware you exist. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think you said you said a lot about me there, and um, I, I think that's that largely describes me pretty well. I, I'm a philosophy channel uh, that is focused on freedom issues, particularly the Second Amendment. And uh, that's what I talk about. So I talk about it in kind of a different way. Uh, the goal is to be a little, I hate the term disruptive because that term gets used by every Instagram influencer ever, like, you know, every fake entrepreneur, we're going to be disruptive. But my goal is to actually disrupt how the Second Amendment debate's been kind of happening, right? And the goal with that is to ultimately take the debate to a place where uh, the proper course of action is more obvious and we can do more and we can get more people moving behind it. That's ultimately the goal. So um, the way that I do that is through um, ethical arguments and, and exploring philosophical uh, positions. And I talk a little bit about communication and things like that too. But for the most part, I'm focused on uh, analyzing arguments, breaking them down and creating my own. So 
little bit of news and opinion here and there, but um, I'm 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 pretty much I'm an opinion and an argument channel. I'm not really a news channel as I see it. So, right, uh, and that's great that you. It's great that you say that because too many out there will tout, and we're talking mainstream media as well. Will tout themselves as news, and they're not. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think it's important because people people get confused. I mean, they watch things. I mean, like. Whether it's Chris Matthews, Rachel Maddow, if you're talking about that side of things, uh, the Tucker Carlson's, the Sean Hannity's, the whatever it might be, and they see it as because that's on a quote unquote news channel that they're watching news. And the reality is you're getting fed somebody's opinion and they may or may not have an agenda and they certainly have their own perspectives and experiences that are playing into what they're talking about. Um, and it's it's important to get past that stuff i'm not saying that those sources are irrelevant you shouldn't pay attention to those sources but you should be able to sort through a lot of the bs to kind of figure out hey what's really going on here yeah i agree and i i think one of the big things is the understanding of how we can get accurate information right and and one of the aspects of accurate information, and this is something I, I was talking about with uh, Guns and Barbecue recently, but say like if you go to John Crump, who I consider to be probably the most influential um, gun journalist as far as two-way politics, two-way discussion, driving that discussion and providing relevant information. He has a specific code of uh, ethics that he'll use. So like among those things that he talked about um, in his recent interview with um, uh, the uh, I keep forgetting the guy's name and we just talked about it, uh, Pat um, who is, who is arguing for the whole, um, 80%, uh, lowers, we need to have uh, an informal paper trail or whatever. Um, he was saying, Hey, look, I don't, I don't do circumstantial evidence. And I'm over here. I'm like, well, my, you know, my philosophy, my arguments are things that we would know right from circumstantial evidence. So we have two different standards, not because I'm right. And John's wrong. We have two different standards because we have different jobs. Right. And so when we're trying to go about those, I'm constantly doing analysis, right? All, all of my stuff is coming from analysis and uh, synthesis, creating something out of what I'm seeing or identifying logical inferences and patterns. Like that's what I do. That's how I arrive at the truth. Um, if I'm pretending that I'm not doing that, you know, I would be lying to you, right? Uh-huh. So um, it's important for me to be able to say, yeah, no, I'm giving you my take. I think I justify my take through rational argumentation with true premises because that's how deductive arguments work. And I think that I have strong deductive arguments. It's on you, the viewer to say, Hey, I disagree with this premise or what about this, you know, and, and provide these counter examples and and create that back and forth. But um, yeah, it's ultimately my perspective. I think I'm right. Of course, you know, or if I think I'm, you know, if I, if I don't think I'm wrong at least, right. Then I'll say that, but, but yeah, it's absolutely 100% that now that's, that's more than quote unquote, just an opinion, which is something where I would draw a segmentation, but I would say, yeah, I'm giving you perspectives on the world from my perspective, my arguments, my worldview, and we can discuss these and we can be critical. I prefer when people are critical of me because it helps me formulate better arguments. So, um, if I was going to pretend everything I was doing was news, um, that would just be miserable. <laughs> right. So like, I, I just, I, I wouldn't want to be that guy. Um, I don't know. I, I have plenty of thoughts on how I think two A news could go, but, um, doing news explicitly, um, I, I'm going to save that for a real journalist. <laughs> well, you know, I typically, I typically 
try to stick to, you know, a lot of the things that I do that are 2A related, at least on the channel. Um, I've tackled the Texas is turning blue myth, what I consider to be the myth, and, of course, laid out the, the data, uh, the voting data, uh, statistics of people moving in and out of the state, where they move, a lot of, a lot of various moving parts and, and aspects to that. Um, and then when I talk about uh, Texas, you know, 2A legislation, uh, be it pro or, or anti or whatever, I always try to approach it from more of a news standpoint. And then, I, but I always caveat as well, a uh, big advocate of telling people, here's the links or go here. Mm-hmm. You need to do your own homework. Um, too many people go to the voting booth, color in the name, pull the handle, click the thing on the screen, whatever it might be, walk out and they think that the job is done. Too many people pay, write a check or whatever to GOA, NRA, SAF, whatever it might be. And they're done at that point. They, mm-hmm. they, I've, well, I've done my part. Um, people don't realize, I think a lot of times the civic duty they have to actually be engaged. And part of that is understanding things and being able to do that or in order to do that, you got to do your own homework. Um, don't blindly follow anybody, whether it's me or Walt or John Crump or Fox or MSNBC or whatever. Don't blindly follow anybody. Um, I, I always talk about, you know, the, the gray area, the middle. Um, I talk about, you know, there's there's on any topic. Mostly we talk 2A and, and liberty and freedom. Uh, in the uh, in the farm community, the gun culture, that sort of thing. But really, with any topic, you, you're always going to have the two extremes. You're going to have roughly 10% on one side. It's my take. 10% on the other. Mm-hmm. 80% in the middle. Um, some people refer to that as the silent majority, whatever it might be. Um, well, in order to get a feel for, especially if you if you lean a little bit more one way than the other, right? You're not smack in the middle in order to get an idea of what those people smack in the middle are thinking. You know, you can't live in an echo chamber. You can't live in a little bubble wherever you sit on that scale. Um, You have to look at those, that data and those sources and those arguments and everything else, what's being said on the other side. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's, that's really important as well. Um, And that's, that's one thing I like about what you do um, is that you come in, you've done several almost like reaction videos, I guess, where mm-hmm. you're playing that video. Uh, you had one with, with John Lovell uh, that was up there, of course. Um, and you're going through and you'll pause it and you'll say, okay, wait, hold on a minute. You know, what he said here doesn't align with what he just said earlier. And then here's why. And you start kind of explaining some of the inconsistencies and discrepancies. Um, and I really think that's where we I really think that's where you fall down a lot of times is by not being consistent with mm-hmm. uh, our arguments, with our positions, with our stances. And sometimes that gets us in trouble. Um, I call that to an extent intellectual honesty. And I think that's a big piece. People don't want to admit certain things because they think, oh, well, if I admit this, even though it may be a truth, right? If I don't admit this, if I admit this, I'm weak. Or if I admit this, it opens a door. Well, if you don't, then I think that also is a potential danger in getting blindsided with that particular issue as well. 
exactly. Like that's, that's the big thing that I've been trying to say, like, um, and, and this is where it, it becomes this game of distinctions, right? So we can talk about how gun control can be effective. And this is something that immediately drives a lot of people away when you're a Second Amendment person. You're like, no, background checks are effective in reducing crime. I have zero problem making that admission. I don't, I disagree with background checks. I disagree with the NFA, but I'm not going to dispute that, yeah, they are peer reviewed and effective to commit crime. So would the extension, the uh, extinction of the human race would be 100% effective in removing crime too. That doesn't mean we should do it. Um, right. So, so being able to give the devil their due is something that uh, us philosophy guys, we love, you know, um, but a lot of people get really, you know, they get really scared. And I, I think the big takeaway is just like, Hey, look, if the facts are on your side, you know, ultimately it's not going to really matter. Um, like your position is either correct or not, you know, uh, or, or you're more accurate than or less accurate, but you're not, you're not going to be, you know, where every fact in a vacuum is going to look like it lines up. People try to insinuate things all the time that don't matter. One of the constant things that I, I say in videos, and if you, if you watch my videos, you know, so many times, so what, so what? Uh, that's a question that we have to ask every time someone establishes a premise. You need to logically attach it to the conclusion of the argument. Uh -huh. So you can say, oh, well, guns get used to kill people. So what? And and that's not to say uh, uh, that killing people is good, you know, or, or bad or whatever. It's just well, how is how is that connected to this? OK, guns are used in this instance. OK, but what else was used in that instance? Right. Let's look at our other components of causality. There is a human involved there. There was a murder victim that was involved. There were material conditions that drove that murder, emotions, you know, maybe a spouse cheated, maybe uh, maybe it was a money problem, maybe someone was involved in a game, you know, like who knows, right? There's all kinds of conditions that impact what was going on there. Um, just, just saying like, you know, one thing that's a fact, yeah, a, a, a gun is involved in a firearms homicide is, yeah, that's a fact, okay, but, but so what? Um, you know, we, we have to be able to press into why specifically that as opposed to something else. Why specifically are we looking at legislating, controlling, removing this? Right. Uh -huh. um, and if they can't establish that, then they don't have an argument like, right. well, at the end of the day. So so that's the big question. If someone had to take a takeaway from my channel, it, it, nothing else is just ask. So what? When people finish talking, ask. Mm -hmm. So what? That's going to be that's going to be what gets you. um a very quick kind of uh, BS detector, if you will, on right. if their argument's good or bad. If, if the so what isn't there, then you can you know, generally, pretty safely, you can ignore it. That's a general rule. Well, would you agree or disagree that uh, most of the most of the anti-2A, most of the anti-gun element um, tends to want to make emotional arguments, right? They want to prey on that emotional aspect, like, you know, what about the children? Um, and would you, with that, would you agree or disagree that in, in some sense we have to realize that emotion, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people weigh, let's see if I can word this correctly. A lot of people weigh fact over emotion, right? Mm -hmm. They say, well, that don't matter. They're just being emotional. Here's the facts. Well, the problem with emotions, and this is where, this is a conversation I like to get into and have sometimes. Emotions are a real thing. We can't discount. Emotions are not the emotion you're showing or your reaction to said emotion may be warranted or not. 
but the fact that you're having said emotions is a real physiological thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we dismiss that. And I'm wondering if that's a bad move to completely dismiss the element of emotion in an argument. Yeah. So to the first question, I, I 100% agree that there is a tendency. And I think this tendency is true of both sides um, on the gun control debate. Absolutely. Uh, to see, yeah. to see, because the the meta for the debate has been emotional arguments, um, back and forth on statistics. We yell, we disagree, um, and we call each other idiot afterwards. That's been the debate for ever since I was alive. That's been what I've heard on TV every time. That's what I've seen in um, debates and actual like academic contexts. Um, that's what I've seen everywhere. It's we're gonna we're gonna make emotional arguments and then go back and forth on statistics, and that's it. Um, and that happens to us too, because we get sucked into that on the uh, pro 2A side, right? Like we get sucked into the emotional arguments. Well, what about her? She couldn't defend herself. And, and then she was involved in one of these, you know, one of these mass murders and she couldn't defend herself and her parents died because of it, you know, and what about this? And what about this? Right. Like, and, and those arguments have a place like that emotional motivation is appealing to write that moral intuition that has a place, um, on the note of, uh, emotivism. That's one of my weaker areas in philosophy. I, ha I have a few areas that I'm not great with. I'm, uh, emotivism, uh, aesthetics, and probably like Eastern philosophy are where I'm weakest, I would say. Um, but on emotivism, I would say, uh, yeah, there's, there is definitely the argument there. And a lot of people make this, uh, Colleen Murphy is an example. Um, or sorry, excuse me, not Colleen Murphy. Um, I'm forgetting her name. I'll, I'll remember, uh, shortly. Um, cause she's brilliant and I feel really, really bad, um, that I'm forgetting her name, but I'll, I'll, I'll remember in a second. Um, but there's, um, there's a philosopher that I did admire that, that, uh, embraced, um, moral imagination and judging. Um, and basically the idea is you as a judge, if you were a judge and you're looking at how to make just decisions, you would need to be able to empathize with, uh, your, you know, the defendant, the plaintiff, you would need to be able to see things from their perspective, understand what's driving them, understand what's relevant. And, and that's the only way that you could really truly produce a just ruling. Uh -huh. And it's to rely on that emotional information, but you can't rely on it exclusively. You're still bound by the law, your rational codes of ethics, right? Um, so, so it's not that your emotions take over everything, rather that they inform it. So to your point, um, an example of that may be if you suddenly feel pain in your foot when you're walking, right, in your toe, and you look down, and you realize you stubbed your toe on a rock, and and so you're angry, right? That's that's the that's the initial emotion. It's this pain, this anger that you feel, but it's actually real information saying, "Don't stub your foot on the rock, right? Don't stub your toe, right?" And, and that's something that you can learn from and use. It's very practical, right? So. Um, yeah, absolutely. We can get practical information from emotions. Absolutely. We need to be ready to deal with emotional arguments and we need to be able to make our own. Um, but we also do have to point out when uh, things get into what's called uh, more like anti-realist or non-cognitivist frameworks, right? Where um, it stops making sense to call things true or false. Um, so for instance, an in, in anti-realist or non-cognitivist may say, Non-cognitivism is more accurate, um, but they may say something like, oh, well, when you say don't don't steal from me um, or stealing is wrong, really what you're saying is don't steal from me. And it doesn't make sense to say don't steal from me is true or false. Uh -huh. Right. 
if I say stop doing that, right? It doesn't make sense to say that's true or false. It just doesn't make logical sense. It's a command, right? right. So that's how they see things. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, David Hume wrote about this, you know, whatever everyone's going to kind of agree to, unless there's, that's what's going to win out, whatever the most people feel emotional about. Right. Is that the world that we want to live in where, you know, you, you have that? And, and are there any examples throughout history where, you know, 90% of the population felt a certain way and decided to do something bad, right? That we decided after the fact was bad, but at the time they all thought was good. Did that make it good? You know, like, do we really want to be slaves to our emotions or do we want to be able to use rationality, right? And, that, and we, we need to be able to have that conversation. So, but that's, that's all meta ethics stuff like behind the scenes, but it, it impacts this debate in a real like actual way. And I think a lot of people miss that. Right. Um, I want to shift a little bit into when we start talking about, you know, age gaps, we talk about experiences, we talk about uh, a lot of that different stuff. I think that, you know, I don't want to say that we're a lot of people see the two way movement. They see the, the firearm owners, they see the gun culture and a lot of people go over well, fractured, uh, you know, we're, we're fighting against each other. We're all of this. And so I think to a certain extent, I think some of that is true. Um, but I see it more as it's, it's inherent differences. Um, my upbringing, my experiences, my age is going to put me in a totally different place than you. It's going to put somebody mm -hmm. in totally different place than everybody else out there that's in the chat live chat right now um, listening. We're all coming from a different place with a different perspective, with different experiences, which impact our stuff. And so, you know, what gets me, and I'll use this as an example, is like right now, right? Uh, shortage in the industry, whether it be ammo, whether it be firearms, whether it be whatever, and people freaking out over it. And you're like, uh, been through this many times over the last several decades, kids. What are you freaking out over here? You know, you've got a right to freak out. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is the first time you've experienced it. I understand. But is there no value in me? And, and if there is, how do I communicate that? Okay, kiddo, it's going to be okay. You know, we, we can come out of this. We've came out of this many times before. We'll come out of it again. But when you try to communicate that, and, and I say kids, I'm just talking folks younger than I am, or mm -hmm. maybe folks that are new to the scene, even, um, they seem to harden up when, when I say something like that, right? Um, it's like they double down on, well, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong. Even though you've been there, you've done that. Your experience is valid. It's truthful. You have seen what you're saying you've seen. You know, this time is different, right? And it's like, how did, do you have any ideas on how the communication would be better affected, effective, I should say, in that type of situation, trying to just trying to give hope to, you know, show a light at the end of the tunnel for the, the younger crowd. And then also is there things that we need to be learning from the younger crowd as well mm. with that? That's an interesting question. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about, I, I think let's, let's answer those in the reverse because right. let's, let's, the, the reason I would say that is that the, the things to learn should always precede the things to tell should always precede the things that like we should always sure. listen before we speak as a general rule. Right. Right. Um, 
So what should we learn from the young generation? Well, how they're engaged on the Second Amendment is different. It's been sculpted entirely by social media. And that sounds like the most boomer thing that this millennial, you know, me will ever say. But it's true. Like we we see we've learned it's you know, we didn't sit here and learn all this stuff from our families or something like a lot of us did, like in part. But we're sitting here and what are we doing? We're learning about our rights on YouTube. We're learning about our rights on uh, Facebook and talking about these things with each other. And we go to school and we, you know, we share memes with each other. And then that's like, that's, we like millennials, we, we started meme culture, you know, that, like, that's our, that's us. Right. And then um, when you get into, I think like that zoomer demographic, the generation following mine, right. Like you're going to get into um, that evolving even further and getting developed even further and how they see the world and how they do that is different factor in that. Um, I mean, look at look at where we are politically. It's a post-truth world, right? So it's like it's a lot of emotivism going around. It's a lot of just um, absurdism, right? It's like, hey, I'm just picking what I want to love and what I want to care about. Mm-hmm. I'm picking, you know, like I just get to pick because, you know, it's kind of crazy anyway, right? And you have a lot of people that that do believe that still. Um, there's still a lot of people that cling to like objective truth and you know all these all these great things, like I do, you know, but. Um, yeah, there's, you know, there, there, the the entire like discourse, the place that the discord that the discourse is at has shifted radically. So if there's anything to learn from from them, I think it's going to be seeing how they talk to each other. Right. And um, and that's going to be how you communicate to them is by talking with the same kind of lines and things that they would say. So um, that doesn't mean be a millennial, like, you know, uh, there's that okay boomer thing, right? Like they're going to, you know, just say, okay, boomer and then laugh away. But, um, but just seeing what they're appealing to seeing what they're talking about, and then kind of structuring your approach in a similar manner, but still maintaining the authentic, the authenticity of your voice. That's, that's how you're going to be able to get through. And, and, to that end, you know, I think that kind of solves solves a lot of the issues. So what I would do is just say, oh, no, not an ammo shortage. You know, like I would I would kind of make light of it. Like, man, it would be crazy if anyone went through that before. Right. You know, like, wouldn't it be so crazy if this has happened several times in the past? And wouldn't it be crazy if everyone survived? You right. know, wouldn't it be crazy if if gun apocalypse was a turn was a term that got used several times on YouTube? And right. You could totally just search that right now. Wouldn't it be insane to see that everybody constantly freaks out in the social media sphere and we survive every time? Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, but I mean, I don't know, just the thought. And like, I would just like let that hang and they'd be like, huh, and, you know, and it just you have to give them something bite sized. Right. Like right. Th- this is the same thing, too. If I'm communicating with people older than me or people just different than me, you know, younger than me, older than me from a different background, whatever, doesn't matter bite-sized information that they can actually do something with and that they can process in the moment. Because if you give them more than that, and I'm the philosophy guy, I will give you more than that. I want to, I want to explain the whole thing. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, so when I do these reaction videos, yeah, I'll sit there for two hours and react to a 15 minute video because there's that much wrong. And I, and within my discipline, like, yeah, you got to explore everything. You got to run down everything. Uh Um, but outside of that, you know, if I just needed to give you a call to action, eh, my video is probably going to be three minutes, four minutes long, right? Bite size, something you can consume, something that you can like track and follow and be like, huh, yeah. And sometimes that's just planting a little seed of an idea and that's right. okay. Like that's influential, like that can be powerful, you know? And so it's just little pieces of information 
um, stringing people kind of along the way in a way that they can digest until until they can take those bigger bites, get more of that picture. And they're like, oh, OK. And their mind has been changed. and They haven't even realized it. Um, right. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch because it happens to us all the time. Like and that's what people don't. If, if you think you're not susceptible to propaganda, you're the most susceptible to propaganda. <laughs> right. Yeah. We all can be persuaded. We all can be convinced of anything, uh, pretty much. Um, that it's human psychology. We there are numerous pathways in our brains that that can be used to convince us of certain things as true, or as practical, or as at least good or bad or whatever. So we need to we need to treat those things seriously. And and the the easiest way to to get these things believed is just you know one one spoon at a time, just incrementally. Uh-huh. Um, plain nut out there says uh, personally I don't think we're any more fractured than the population at large and you know I would tend to agree I would say mm-hmm. that the, the people that the people that claim that, that there's fractures and we're not all aligned are the people that are looking at here's kind of the way I perceive that they're, they're trying to thought right I think that they're looking at a map let's say the United States right and they're focusing on the lines that are the state borders and they're going look we're all separate and it's like but are we really you're kind of focused on these borders and that yes okay that's a part of it the state lines are a part of it it's understandable but does that mean we're all fractured and running amok just because we all have our individual little groups or sections or think you know things we like to do experience level age background whatever those demographics might be right that's normal to me that's a part of individual uh individualism right mm-hmm. so it's it's as normal as having the lines you have to have the lines on the map to delineate the states it doesn't mean that there's fractures anywhere yeah like that's that's the entire thing, right? Like, like fundamentally, what makes you and I different other than age? You know, like, like we can look at a whole bunch of different things and we can say, oh, well, you know, uh, maybe Clover's got a little more Irish in him, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Walt has that, you know, really thick Norwegian skull, you know, um, that he likes to show off that gigantic forehead of his or whatever, right? Um, But we, okay, so outside of those differences, how do we live our lives, right? Like, you know, yeah, you live in a different community than mine, you know, your commutes and, and where you go to get groceries and stuff may be a bit different than me, but like Mm -hmm. end of the day, what are the values? You know, like both love our families. I presume I would presume as well that we both, um, you know, want to make sure that we're, we're well off. Maybe we don't need to be super rich or whatever, but we need to make sure that, you know, our expenses are cared for and we can take care of other people and we want to be able to do things, certain things with money to help people out, you know? Um, I would also go so far as to say, yeah, like there's certain other core values where whether or not we get them from the same philosophies, religion, systems, whatever, you know, we probably think that you shouldn't be rude to people. You probably think that people deserve some level of respect and decency, probably believe that, um, you know, listening to other people, they they might have something to offer us, a new perspective we haven't heard before. We, we, we share all these different values. Um, and, and yeah, we don't like when our government does bad things. Uh, we want a more peaceful world. We might have different ideas of how to get there. We want, you know, we want a world where there's less problems. We might have some different ideas on how to get there. But, but fundamentally, yeah, we're not we're not all that separate. Like uh, yeah, humans are incredibly good at relating to each other, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, like we can draw up distinctions, but most of those distinctions we draw up are ad hoc or, or should be used for the purposes of understanding people, maybe in specific contexts. But um, 
in that sense, are we separate? Sure. Like my life is different than, than Clover's, but is it that different? Is it so different that it, that it makes the difference? Maybe well, is in it, some ways. So, is it so different that it, that it has to impede communication, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the point. Um, some people just, it's like, oh, well, you know, I can't talk to them. They're a FUD or I can't talk to them. There's no such, you know, there's no such thing as a gun owning liberal. I can't talk to them. Right. Um, you know, oh, I can't talk to them. They're a Democrat, you know, yeah. uh, you know, or, you know, I can't talk to this person or I can't talk to that person. And it's like, I don't understand, you know, maybe that's the problem is you're trying to talk to them rather than listen to them. Maybe that's where the, mm-hmm. the problem actually lies, right? Yeah, I mean that's that would be my point. Like I I swung at Johnny B a while ago because he did that, and um and and gosh, what was the thing that he said that I I disagreed with? He said um, if you voted for if you voted for Biden, stop donating to uh, gun organizations. Yeah, like uh, like you know, <laughs> no. basically basically it was <laughs> if you voted Democrat, we don't want you in the fight at all right like i want everyone in the fight like and i don't know if he's i I, it sounds to me like he hasn't seen war before um and i mean despite my you know despite my youthful uh, demeanor you know like um back when i was in iraq like you know doing psychological operations (laughs) like we were all about um getting people to, to help us that maybe you know the average american would see as an enemy uh, sometimes, sometimes you can make an enemy a friend, and isn't that the best thing you could do? Like, get them to stop fighting you and start helping you. Wouldn't that be incredible? That's a two for one right there, right? Well, and so, <laughs> and regardless, and regardless, we go back to there. Is there something to learn? Right? Um, are you familiar with the Liberal Gun Club at all? Um, loosely, I'm not. I'm not affiliated with them, but being being a uh, a proud liberal gun owner here on YouTube, uh, <laughs> right. I've been I've been referred. I've seen some of my videos shared on I think their message board, if I'm not right. mistaken. But well, I mean, I don't follow them heavily, but I had um, I had one of them on a, a few weeks ago, and you know, one of the thoughts I had, they were talking about how they go to the more liberal, you know, the Democrat politicians and they have their talking points from their perspective, right? They're pro to a talking points from their uh, perspective. It's, it's their ideology, that kind of thing, which is completely different than, you know, a conservative, somebody on the, the right side, Republican talking points, all that, right. Talking points completely structured differently because there, there's a similarity enough, I think in mindset that they're better, better suited to, to be able to approach those types of politicians mm-hmm. without the instant hostility, right? That right. Somebody like me, right? If, if I would go, and I don't know, I'm pretty open-minded with stuff, but uh, I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, you know, if I was to go to a New York, California, walk into one of the, the legislators' offices there and give the same speech I would give in Austin, Texas, right? They talk the same talking points and everything else. That's probably not going to fly. They're instantly going to shut down. They're going to go defensive. Um, and that's where their mindset's going to be. Where, you know, some of these folks with the liberal gun clubs may have a little different tact and approach. So I say that to say that even if you don't, even if you don't align with somebody at all, a hundred percent do not align with somebody. That doesn't mean there might not be something you can learn. 
And in that instance, maybe you can learn how to tweak your words, your language, your presentation, your tactics, right? To then approach those legislators that you're having a problem with. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. Like, so if I was to say, um, if I was to say, and we, and if, if I may just put this out to chat, you know, um, uh, what do you think of when you think, uh, like what, what's the immediate, um, say thing that you think of when someone says, uh, FUD, right? So just to use that as an example, and, um, the chat may come up with a whole bunch of things. If you chat, if you want to go off on what you think of when you hear the word FUD, go for it. Like I, I have my assumptions and, and Clover and I have talked about this before as part of why he's taking and, and kind of rebranding and repurposing that word. Right. Um, right. It's the same exact thing. Like you might say, oh, well, a FUD is someone who's, you know, I'm pro two a butt. A FUD is someone who only likes the old wooden guns. A FUD is, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, right. So like there's so many there's so many different things that someone can go uh, with a word. They have an, a, an assumption and association with it. And it may be to that point where you need to pick a different word. Right. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. and. So when I say FUD, maybe instead of saying FUD, because it might not get through to this population of people who are super pro 2A, but just get called FUDs because they're old, maybe, right? Or they're into the older types of firearms, sure. right? right? Maybe instead of saying FUD, maybe I say, hey, you know those people that are pro 2A, but, and those people are like, oh yeah, those people, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's so annoying, right? And then now, now we're connecting, right? Right. And same thing, same thing for the lib, uh, for the the liberal or uh, you know the 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 far the further left politicians um, out there. <clears throat> we can do the same exact thing. So instead of maybe approaching things being like uh, you know uh, my rights, you know shall not be infringed. Well, that's guess what, guys, shall not be infringed has been co-opted as a uh, a right wing talking point now. Okay, that's, that's where it's at in the game to them. You say that they roll their eyes. So you have to say something different, okay. you know, like, hey, look, and, and this is how I would put it. Hey, how do you feel about human rights violations? Right. How do you think about the government denying someone's rights and, de and, and defining them out of existence? Do you think that would be good? Like, do you think that the government should do that? And they're going to tell you, of course not. I think it's insane that our government denies people human rights. Me too. Guess what? I think the right to defend yourself is a core essential human right that's been proven through through centuries of philosophical work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I really want to work with you on that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, okay. So the right to self-defense, who's, who's unable to defend themselves? What, what can we do? What can, how can we help? Well, actually I have a series of proposals that might actually align with, with a lot of your policy ideas I'd like to discuss with you. Boom. Now you're having a conversation, right? right. And, and that just takes, that takes you being able to get in the room. But if you come in and say, no, my rights, my guns, you can't take them away. Boom. Wall. Right. Yeah. So sometimes, and, and, and it's to the point, even with law enforcement, right. And you say, I, uh, I, how many people have been in that, that class or seen in the video on YouTube or whatever, right? Don't tell the officer, I have a gun, right? Hand them the permit and say, hey, officer, I'm carrying, right? Or right. something like that where it's neutral, right? Why? Because gun, boom, red flag, right? right. So right. it's like, you think that's not going to happen to the people that are afraid of guns and legislating? Think that they don't get their hackles up just by hearing the word gun? Like you'd be outside your mind, right? Right. So you got to you gotta think about the word choice and everything. And that's just part of good uh, copywriting, good persuasion. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I mean, I, you know, I talk a lot about a lot about language um, and, you know, just just decades, even here in Texas. I mean, you have to deal with it because it's like, what is the end game? So pump, some people will say, well, well, that's an issue of freedom of speech. But is it really by 
pulling back by using a different word, just because we have freedom of speech doesn't necessarily mean we have the, we shouldn't be using better language, right? right? Depending on the task at hand. So my point is a couple decades or whatever it's been now in youth shooting sports, you know, if I've got parents that are coming to first of the year meeting, something like that, thinking about getting their child involved with the program because, you know, peer pressure, usually they've got friends involved, whatever it might be. They live in the apartment complex in town. They don't live in the, the more rural of the areas, whatever it might be. And I get up there and I start talking about this gun and that gun and this gun, rather than saying, this is the type of firearms that we use in competition, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to this is the type of guns we use in competition. Guns is a really harsh word to people like that, right? Um, firearm is a little bit more technical, right? And so it, sometimes it's those minor tweaks and changes that you can do, I think, um, which, which does help move the conversation forward, right? Because in somebody's mind, they're not getting, they're not tripping over some, you know, a bulk, I call it a bulky word, right? They're not mm -hmm. tripping over that, that word that may have all types of connotation to it. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is it's just reading the connotations and reading the audience. So, you know, is gun a dirty word? Should it be a dirty word? Absolutely not. No. And that's why we use it in our community, but can it be used um, or, or can it be a dirty word to some of these people out there? Yeah. Um, and just like this chat, right? Like, yeah, um, uh, you know, why do we not use profanity in this chat? Because it disrupts the conversation for the audience because it's not the show that we want to do. Right. And in the same way, uh, don't use, uh, you know, in other in other places, hey, maybe profanity can be acceptable. Right. Because that helps you convey the point. Um, and yeah, I. Uh, I see Weston's comment down there. Those who control the language control the narrative. Absolutely. So yeah. is wouldn't that be, wouldn't that mean, right, um, that you control the narrative if you can control your language, right? So, right? so you have more power, the more control over your language you can exert, you can, uh -huh. you can use. So knowing how to hit the audience wherever they are, that's the bottom line at the end of the day. You're free to say pretty much whatever you want. This is America. We get it. But yeah, freedom of speech is separate from uh, don't put that you, you you do have the freedom to put your foot in your mouth, but I would recommend against that, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, it comes down to the most effective way to communicate, right? I mean, put it in terms of I think you were talking about it on the chat the other day about, you know, do you I mean, do you really need for like self-defense purposes? Do you really need more than one firearm? You know, and it's like, well, for that particular purpose, probably not. But, you know, what about those that also shoot competition, that also go hunting, that right. also are into collection, that also. So language is, 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 to me, the effectiveness of language is the same way. The words that we have, the vocabulary that we, we have, right, is like that collection of firearms. And so, hey, I'm going to this competition. Which, which one do I choose, right? And that would be the word what words am I going to choose to complete this particular task the most efficient way and effective way that I can. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. Like 
you know, can you can you just say, you know, one way of saying the phrase and hope that it works? Sure. And in a lot of situations, you'll probably be okay. People understand your meaning if you repeat yourself enough. But sometimes you just got to meet people where you are. Like how many times if someone rephrases a point for us, we understand it more clearly. How, right. how often does that happen where you're like, wait, I don't understand what you mean. And right. the person just says the same exact thing in different words. I have that happen all the time where I will give a copywriter's perfect like marketing advertising headline, three to five words, right? It's set, it's golden. It perfectly explains what the thing is. If the person thinks about what I said for a second and I say it, and then guess what? Person doesn't get it. They need it explained. Well, how did right. that happen? Because a language that is just my own is worthless if it's not shared by someone else and they have different things that they think about these words. They have different ways that they think about the world. Like their their approach is different. Their mind is different. So I, I have to meet them where they are. And there, there's no exception to that. And, um, and, and I, like I did a video where I said, um, stop saying 1776 for that reason. Um, it wasn't because 1776 isn't important. It wasn't because 1776 wasn't a, um, a massive critical historical milestone here in the U.S. It wasn't because that's that's where we remember and we hearken back to um, as a moment to remember our core ethos of revolution and rebellion in this country. The reason I said stop saying 1776 is because they're going to roll your eyes when you say it. Mm-hmm. So save save the threats, save the hey, guys, we're rebellious. We're, you know, revolutionaries. We will do what we need to do. Save that for when it's time. It's not time yet, you know? Save it for the right moment. Time it, right? No, it's the principle of kairos, right? We talk about logos, pathos, ethos all the time, but kairos timing is the most important thing. Um, People, you need to talk to people when they can be convinced. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what you say. Alan out there says, I think a Ricky from Trailer Park Boys, but I'm told I can't cuss. I can't use colorful language if I can't cuss. I can't appropriately represent myself. Um, and let me just say, I don't have a problem with it. Um, call me on the phone. Meet me in real life. Um, but I also believe that, again, we're talking about the most effective and efficient ways to communicate. And I do not believe that is... Um, got a spot on my channel in my comments sections so forth and so on and so i don't practice it in any of my live streams or videos right um it's it's having control over it quite honestly and i get it some people some people are not practicing the control anybody can be don't get me wrong anybody can be uh but a lot of people they don't practice the control of their of their language um and I would, I would say do that. Um, get into some situations if you're looking for, uh, and, and jump in on this, Walt, definitely with your opinion. But I know that I was, and I'm still not a, a, an effective speaker, getting up in front of people and stuff like that. That's really tough. not. But I know that, I know that my use of language, I don't have your vocabulary, of course, you're nerded out into philosophy and all this other stuff with a whole bunch of big words. I thought I knew big words. Um, you take the cake for big words, man. Um, <laughs> I do. I, oh, I we're, I'm not even, I'm not even there. Next, next semester I have meta metaphysics. Yeah. That's an actual thing. Meta metaphysics. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> but it's, so. it's, it's interesting. Once you, once you start practicing some, some, 
public writing and public speaking and some different things and utilization of different words and the reactions you get when you use those words and you start comparing that. Um, I don't know, something I'll, I've always found interesting, even though I'm not the, you know, I'm not the great orator for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think that we have to be, and that's what this conversation pretty much has been about the entire time we've talked today. It's just communication, right? Um, you yeah. know, what's, what's the best ways to communicate, whether we're communicating with the opposite side of whatever the argument might be, or we're communicating from somebody that is on our side, but that we don't agree a hundred percent with. Um, yeah, I think I think for this, I'm going to defer to my my uh, training here. Um, there's a there's an FM you may be able to find online. It's FM three dash zero five point three oh one. It's going to be your psychological operations, uh, uh, tactics, techniques, procedures, right? TTPs. Um, when you open that up, they're going to give you the psyop process. OK, and it's actually pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Um, but basically, step one is have a plan. Like, what are you going to try to you know convey? What do you need to do? Right. You need to identify what you need to do. Um, step two is going to be know your target audience. Right. And that's where everyone starts to fall apart, because if you look at the modern market, that this is something that the major corporations do when they're going to advertise and put out a campaign. This is something that uh, political campaigns will do, you know. But then when you talk about smaller companies, small businesses and stuff, they just go, oh, well, my, my market is everybody. I'm just talking to everybody. You know, um, and they kind of hit this like one thing and it's like, are you really selling to everybody? Can everybody really buy and benefit from your product? Is that true? Right. Or, or is it like, hey, your product's for homeowners or, hey, your product is for adults or, hey, your product is for women or men or whatever. Right. So really, really, in reality, we're talking about, OK, well, who's the ideal person to hear your message? And you need to have an understanding of who that is and what makes them different. And once you understand them and you know what they value and what they're what they're going through in their daily lives, what they suffer from and uh, what they get relief from and what they want, you know, OK, well, now can I be creative and put this through in such a way where uh, now this can actually be heard? That's literally the second step is to, to get that information. And then from there, you're going to go into writing your message. Right now, the first three steps right there, planning learn the audience, come up with the message, right? Basically, that's going to be our first three steps. We're going to be putting that into play informally all the time. So we come onto YouTube, right? And we're going to do a video. Well, who's my target audience? So for me, I talk to liberal gun owners. Um, why do I do that? Because one, I am one. Two, um, I talk to liberal gun owners because they are a massive demographic that doesn't get content for them. So my content is not just for everyone in the sport two way. So they're my, they're kind of like my primary target audience. And then from there, I have secondary audiences. I have the, the two way community and I have the gun grabbers out there, right? Who want to watch someone who's, who's pro two way and they want to, they want to argue against that. Right. So they want to watch what I do. So what I was, you know, looking at is, okay, well, I know that there's these other audiences that are going to hit this content, but I know my, my contents for this audience. So are there things that I can say to liberals that not that people that aren't liberals will get very annoyed and angry with? Oh, totally, totally. Um, and and so those are things that, you know, yeah, will happen. I'm not your average gun channel, you know, um, and, and I'll, I'll suffer because of that. 
But, you know, for everyone else producing content, they don't need to suffer like I do. <laughs> they, can do they can do different content um, and, and they, oh. can, they can avoid some of that. But but I you know, but that's something that happens. You have unintended audiences. You got to structure a message. If you wanted oh. to be as effective as possible, you got to structure the message for them, too. Yeah, there's there's value in understanding this. This spills over into the political arena as well. And it annoys mm -hmm. me to no end. Um, but you also got to when you see somebody talking, speaking, right? You've also got to realize, you know, you talked about the person doing the speaking, knowing their audience, JAC, several others out there have alluded to that. Um, but you've also, when you're listening to somebody, you've also got to realize who they're speaking to, right? And so, because language is going to change, right? So if they're speaking to a demographic that's not you, right, they're going to say things in a different way. So it's like, okay you need to hear it the way they would tell it to you, not the way they're telling it to somebody else when you, when you hear that. Right. And, and I'll give you an example that, that aggravates me to no end. Right. So you've got, you've got politicians that forever promise things. And then when they're on the campaign trail, and they never come true. You've got you've got politicians that will promise things in a primary. Why? Because they've got to be the furthest right or the furthest left or the most Republican or the most Democrat in the primary, right? And then when you get into the general debates down the general debate stage, they don't bring that up. They have a totally different position or whatever the case may be. Why? Well, because the audience is different. When they're trying to win a primary, that's a whole different thing. Then we're trying to win a general election. So when people pick and choose these sound bites that politicians make, you know, the the distinction distinction and the delineation between is, is it done in the primary or is it done in a general debate, right? Yeah. Makes it makes a huge difference because that's a different audience they're cowtowing to, they're catering, they're pandering to, whatever the case may be, right? And I think that's important for us as well when we're listening. Like there are things you say, I said this when we started, that aggravate the bejesus out of me. And I've got to stop and go, hold on a minute. So I know who he's talking to. He's talking to all these young kids on Discord or whatever that I don't, you know, they game all day or they do whatever. And I don't understand them, right? Not going to pretend to. Like, that's probably who he's talking to. And so they're perceiving this a different way than what I'm perceiving it, possibly. So what is he really trying to say? You know what I mean? And oftentimes we're guilty just as humans, because it's human nature. We're guilty of not listening enough to really try to figure out what somebody's saying. A lot of times we just want to take it at face value. And sometimes that's the case. We should take it at face value. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think that we also have to go, okay, who's he talking to? Is he softening the language or changing the language because of that? Am I misunderstanding what he's saying? Does his experience, education level, you know, whatever. Sometimes you sound pompous and stuff, bro, oh, simply, yeah. simply <laughs> because of all your philosophy stuff and the big words, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. It's like he's not that way, but, you know, he's studying, he's going to school, he's doing all these things. All these big words are fresh in his head, so he's using them, and that's fine, you know, but it's like, you really sound like you're full of yourself sometimes. And and I've got to stop and step back and go, okay, wait a minute. What did I just hear? Right. I've got to assess it first. And sometimes I yeah. still don't agree, but I still have to stop and assess first. 
Yeah. And like, and, and a note on that. Um, yeah. Like when I, when I use these words or whatever, you know, um, there, there's, there's too many examples of, um, what those words may be. And it's, it's on my end, it's me figuring things out and working through my discipline and working through what the tools and, and things that I know. Right. If I was born in a different place, different time, I, I didn't have the same inclination, but I, I still wanted to do philosophy. Right. And, and anyone can do philosophy, which is the cool thing. Might not have the fancy buzzword to put on something, may not have the technically precise name of that idea, but most of the ideas that people are going to philosophize about have already been done anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Those ideas exist. Like, you know, it's nothing new, like very rare that we have original ideas in that, in that sense. So um, yeah, there might be a big fancy word for it, but you talk to someone and they don't say it the way that you want for a little, a little while, but you, you dig into it, you, you listen to them more, you maybe research it a little bit yourself you go, oh. I got it. They're they're identifying with this kind of position, and now I have a name for it. I, I did my research, and now I know what this position is, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you know, um, that's something. Like I, 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 that's something that I think we all have for each other. Like I've disagreed with people as far as how they've said something. They've turned around, clarified, and like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, no, I take that back. I do agree with you. Now I understand what you're saying. Right? That's a normal everyday thing. Right. Um, and it should be. It should be. That means that we're, we're having good conversations. It means that we're not talking past each other if we're able to get to that point. If, if we're at a point where we're talking in circles so much that we can't find an agreement on so much as a fact, then we're not communicating. Right. right. Um, and that's that's what I try to avoid with like you, you see it with a lot of the um, debate, like debate tube on or you know on youtube right the, the the entire debate side of youtube you see that constantly where people will just be talking past each other um and and yelling for internet points and uh that doesn't interest me so so that's that and that's another challenge that i face by the way is like how do i make this language that seems this way because it, it does come across to many people as like academic pompous um how do I how do I parse that? So option one is I don't. I just give you the thing from my perspective, my experience, and now it's harder for you to digest and process, and it's which makes it harder for you to appreciate what's being said, and it makes it even harder for you to disagree with what's being said, right? Um, because if you, if you, if if you have to pull out a dictionary every time a word's getting said, and or, or you have to wait and, and listen to five more minutes of context, and you have to go rewind and like you know it, it's this whole thing. Um, right. And if you think that happens to you, sit here and watch me in a class when I'm going through Kant or Hegel. Um, it's insane um, uh, how, how much that happens, um, just period. So yeah, like that's that's an issue. So that's one, that's one thing. So you can be true to the words, be technically precise and hit that audience, or you can kind of break it down Barney style, as we'd say in the army. You can make it so that everybody can understand what you're saying, drop the multi-syllable words, like keep it stupid simple, um, so that you can follow the ideas. The problem with that is that now you're missing nuance. So now when someone yep. wants to go back and critique you, yep. you don't have the technical language backing you. Now you got that issue. So, you know, it's it's a game of kind of concessions, right? It's yep. like p- picking a carry gun, you know? You're, you, one has some features, the other one doesn't, and you're going to have to pick which features you want. You're you're losing something either way, but you're still, by, by choosing to carry, you're still doing, you know, what we'd say is the right thing, right? right. Yeah. But now you're, you know up the creek without a paddle uh, on, on to one side or the other. And it's just an unfortunate concession. It's, it's a really fine line, uh, fine line to walk. Uh-huh. Um, now she got there a little bit of a, a, I guess a palate cleanser in a way. I got one more 
kind of scenario thing I want to I want to run by you having to do with communication because that's most of what we've been talking about but G says um, as far as Walt did you see a gap and attempt to fill it or did you just decide that this this was an angle that was needed so I I saw the angle that was needed first um, as far as the chicken and egg thing here and then I saw the gap and I went oh I should probably commit to this angle, oh. <laughs> right? The angle fills the gap, right? right. Um, it's it's going to be giving the liberal gun owner a political voice that they can right. that they can follow and, and listen to, and that can also bring them in to be more supportive of two A, right? And realize that being pro two A isn't some anti-liberal position. In fact, it's one of the most liberal things at once. Uh -huh. So, um, so yeah, um, if I can be a philosophy nerd here, I. Uh, uh, G-Webs, you gave me an or. This is an improper or or what's called an inclusive or, which means both of those things can be true. Right. Um, an or statement is only false when both of the disjuncts are false. Right. right. Uh, yeah. And Alan, <laughs> Alan out there is echoing that with uh, two things can be true at once. And, and yeah, I love that. I get comments sometimes. We're talking about mostly like firearm review stuff, right? Where he's like, what does he say? He's like, you said this was so-and-so, but this firearm is this or something. And I'm like, yeah, we're, we're both right. What's the problem with that? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, do you need to be more right than me? We can't, hmm. is, is that a thing now that, that one of us needs to be more right than the other person? We can both be right, you know, um, or we can both be wrong. That's another thing that people yeah. forget a lot of times too. Right. Um, it's not a it's not a zero sum game out there. Um, so one last thing before we get out of here, we're we're up against the hour, but this is a conversation I've had. I don't know if I've ever had it with you on a panel on Daily Gun Show or, or not, but I know you mentioned in the video about you know certain gun tubers, news outlets, whatever it might be, and covering the things that are sexy versus covering the things that are not sexy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think you were talking about some court cases and, and some different things like that at the time. Um, and I totally agree with that. That that aggravates me as well. Um, and a lot of things are, you know, I don't know. I see it a couple of ways. I see it as a play for views and traffic and it's a play on emotion as well and things like that. But I see it this way. And I'm going to throw this scenario out to you and, and then pose a question in light of this whole conversation on communication. So on, on one hand, on one channel on TV, right? Picture this. We've got, and I'm using, do we have clickers anymore? I don't even know. Maybe. But um, uh, well, one channel on YouTube then. Okay. We'll type, yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, but you've got uh, breaking news coverage of the train wreck, right? On the other news channel, you've got the... Uh, awards ceremony for the county fair, the youth awards ceremony for the county fair. And which one of those, just on its face, is sexiest? I think we would all say that more people are going to tune in to the train wreck coverage mm -hmm. than the youth at the county fair getting their scholarships awards, right? Right. Which one of those is a more productive, healthy, worthwhile thing to be watching, right? Probably most people would flip flop and they would say probably the youth getting the 
uh, scholarship awards at the county fair. So why is the train wreck so attractive? Um, is the way it is covered, right? Is the way it's covered, does the way it, it gets covered, I should say, with just communication, right? It gets communicated. Is it done in a different way? And if so, can that way be somehow flipped on its head, flipped over and utilized to cover more positive things and garner the same type of attention? So there's a lot there. Yes. Um, <laughs> let me, so let me, let me break down my answer. So, because this is, this is a little, this is almost an ethical dilemma. This mm -hmm. is almost there, I think. Um, I would dispute the premise that the train wreck ought not be covered because the train wreck is, uh, something that, you know, needs to be discussed, needs to be preventable, um, happened. That doesn't mean that it should happen entirely at the expense of this other incident, but let's say we're pressed for time. Mm -hmm. You know, you're covering the train wreck or the accomplishment of these kids at the county fair. Sure. Doing wonderful, amazing things. They cured cancer and now they got a scholarship for it and all at the county fair. So, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> wonderful kids. Right. Um, in such an instance, right. It, it, you know, we, we need more details to say, well, it would be, you know, the best consequences would arise from looking at the kids at the county fair. Um, however, moral onus now, if I'm, if my news is driven for something other than profit, right. And everyone's already covering this. And there's this one thing over here that's really important, but no one's discussed. And that's these kids at the county fair, their impressive accomplishments. You should know what's going on in your county. Mm -hmm. Um, then yeah, someone should cover it. Right. Um, but I think like in the case of there, this is also a little bit of a false analogy too. Cause like in the case that I was describing, it's like, Hey, look, you have so many YouTubers out there going and giving like ninth circuit court case updates. Mm -hmm. And the, the issue that I had was not that they're providing the updates. The issue that I had is, Hey, look, you have a court that's like 60, 40, roughly, um, you know, democratic uh, party appointees. Right. Um, and so when you have 60%, you know, roughly democratic party appointees, um, yeah, house odds are against you. If you win, it's really good news, but the odds are against you. Um, selling this as though everything's on fire, selling this as though we're going to win for sure when the odds are stacked against us without providing the supplemental information that assures us that the, that the victory is necessary is irresponsible because people should be aware that they're in a fight and they may not come out the other side victorious. That would be responsible uh, journalism, in my view, people like that would be activist journalism, but it would be responsible activist journalism. And that would be good. Um, and, and meanwhile, we have other cases, Caniglia v. Strom as an example, uh, where our Fourth Amendment is going up. And it's a Fourth Amendment tied specifically to a gun issue under community caretaking doctrine and qualified immunity. You have an issue that's two-way tangential. That's more important, in my opinion, because that's that's the police can come into your house and say, for the good of the community, without a warrant, we're taking your guns. That sounds to me like a red flag law, pretty much de facto. A little bit um, worse than that, but yeah. Right, because it expands to other property, right? right? Yeah. So, so in that case, hey, gun channels, maybe you should cover this case instead. Not because you shouldn't cover the Ninth Circuit cases, not because the Ninth Circuit isn't breaking news. It's an appellate court. We should be following this closely. But because guess what? Your rights 
a massive rights case, a 4A slash 2A case, in my opinion, hitting the Supreme Court. Maybe pay attention to that. We got a case that's actually hearing arguments. Your rights are up for negotiation at the Supreme Court right now. You might want to be aware of that. There's a reason both the FPC and the ACLU filed a brief on it. Maybe you want to pay attention to that. I don't know. I'm just a guy on YouTube, <laughs> you know, but right. but that's where that's where I would say, hey, look, like, you know, we need to have um, the discussions about how we cover this stuff. Um, it's not just what we cover. It's how we cover it. Um, selling people on fear, um, you know, the, and this is something I've been critical of the NRA for. I'm, I'm starting to get like more of the fear mongering emails from FPC now, but I don't see that with their other social media. So it's not like full NRA fear. Um so I, I might just unsubscribe from FPC emails, you know, because of that, because of my personal preference and what I, you know, prefer. But, yeah. um, and I follow them elsewhere, so I'm not worried about it. But seeing seeing that, you know, maybe maybe their emails and their email campaigns are structured for an older target audience that still relies on emails, and maybe uh-huh. the the memes and the the silliness and the banter back and forth that they post where they're just like wrecking anti-gun positions on social media, where I'm laughing like ridiculously at what they're they're pulling off. I'm like, this is amazing. Like FBC, you guys are awesome. Maybe that, maybe that's where they really think I'm going to go and see their content, and they they assume I'm not checking my emails as much. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. you know, so that's that yeah. same thing, right? Their their mission is good, but one way that they do it annoys the living daylights out of me. Right. right? But so to kind of bring that full they, circle. But, yeah, but are they speaking to a different yeah. audience? Right. Which is what we talked about earlier. Yeah. yeah exactly. Absolutely. And that's what it seems like to me. So. Um. So yeah, we are uh, we are more than out of time. So I want to give you a second here, Walt. Uh, where can people find you? Follow you? Get more if they want more. Uh, yeah, uh, YouTube.com/slash Walt Anderson Show, all one word. It's Anderson S O N, uh, just like my name is spelled down there uh, in the Duck Duck Go. I'm trying to figure out where I get like it's yeah. like a mirrored camera. It's, it's down there, but yeah, yeah. Well, over here. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Give me something to do. But yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, but I don't talk much there. And then uh, I also have a Discord community. You can jump in and debate anything with anybody. Um, free speech zone. Uh, uh, don't say things that are illegal uh, so that we can keep the server running. That's about our only rule. So, cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome stuff. Uh, yeah. Go check that out, guys. If you want more Walt, awesome conversation. We'll have you back. Talk about some more stuff. Almost no doubt. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, bro. Yeah, thanks. Oh, I'll be on time next time. <laughs> not, not a problem. So uh, that's it. Look for the next one. Uh, if we don't do one of these uh, within the next few days, Wednesday we got Diana Muller, uh, three-gun competitor, former law enforcement officer, more importantly, part of the DC project. Uh, should be a great conversation on that one. So join us for that one too, uh, if you uh, feel so inclined. We're um, going for this one though. Uh, Until next time, peace out.